This morning I want to share with you, I want to reveal from Holy Scripture, and it's more of a teaching than, than preaching. I want to reveal to you storm warnings. Storm warnings of a coming great storm that the Bible, like a faithful meteorologist, uh, warns us about, uh, not just days in advance, but uh, hundreds of years in advance, thousands of years in advance, God has given us storm warnings. Listen to what Jesus said, like a faithful weather forecaster. Listen to what Jesus said in Luke chapter 12. Jesus said, when you see clouds beginning to form in in the west, you say, here comes a shower. And you were right. When the south wind blows, you say, today will be a scorcher. And it is. Hypocrites. You interpret the sky well enough, but you refuse to notice the warnings all around you about the crisis ahead. It was no small thing for Jesus that people ignored Bible prophecy. I find it interesting when I ask people what their favorite TV channel is. I've had people tell me, my favorite TV channel, I just, I love watching the Weather Channel. I've never figured that one out. I want you to notice what word, I want you to circle the word that Jesus used for people that attached more importance to weather predictions than the Bible's predictions. What did Jesus call them? Hypocrites. I want you to be reminded 27%, 27% of your Bible is prophetic. Almost a third of God's holy inspired word deals with Bible prophecy. Two thirds, two thirds of Bible prophecy focuses in on our future. Two-thirds of Bible prophecy is yet to be fulfilled. It is our future. It's prophetic fulfillment. Two-thirds of Bible prophecy consists of signs. Signs forecasting the most horrific storm of all time is coming. This is not a hurricane that's sweeping in from the Atlantic. This is a storm coming from the pit of hell itself. This morning we continue with the message series, Countdown to Eternity, and I want to reveal this storm to you, and most especially, how to escape this great storm of the future as we minister the word, the coming storm. The coming storm. Read with me Matthew 24, verse 21. Jesus said, For then there will be great distress, unequaled from the beginning of the world until now and never to be equaled again. If those days had not been cut short, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. Here Jesus, write it down, as the most faithful forecaster, warns that the most horrific storm of all time is coming. What's it called? The Great Tribulation. Throughout your Bible, You'll also hear the phrase, Daniel's 70th week. You will hear the phrase, the time of Jacob's trouble. In the New Testament, you will hear the day of the Lord. But most of us know this seven-year 
seven-year time period. Most of us know it as the Great Tribulation. Yes. The Great Tribulation's purpose is threefold. There's three purposes to the Great Tribulation. Look on the screen. Number one, number one, God will give a Christ-rejecting world just what they've longed for. A world that has kicked God out of the classroom, a world that has expelled God and banished God from public life and is persecuting Christians in an unequaled way as never before since the times of Jesus. God will give this world just what it has prayed for and longed for, satanic rule and its consequences. God is basically going to say in the Great Tribulation, this is what you want, this is what you get. Secondly, the Great Tribulation will also be a time of God's judgment upon a world which has persecuted His people and rejected His Christ. Thirdly, the Great Tribulation, God's reserved it to be a time for His Son's final victory over Satan. That's next week's message. Don't miss it. The Great Tribulation... You can read about most of it in the book of Revelation. It's presented in three series of judgments. Seven seal judgments, seven trumpet judgments, seven bowl judgments. Twenty-one judgments will be released during the great tribulation, this coming storm. Write it down. Revelation specifically describes how the great tribulation will become a living hell on earth. Revelation 6 declares that one quarter of mankind will die. Some because of war, some because of famine, still others by plague. 25% of the planet will perish during the Great Tribulation. According to today's population figures, that's 1.5 billion people. That is so astronomically high we cannot comprehend it. The sun and the moon will be darkened. One-third of all vegetation will be burned up. All grass, every tree, everything green will be destroyed. Famine will be so terrible, it'll take you an entire day, an entire day's wage to buy one meal, the Bible says. More than natural disaster, there will be a supernatural disaster, a, a, a preternatural catastrophic happening there will be the physical manifestation of demons. Demons will appear according to Revelation chapter 9 and they will inflict such pain upon people. People will beg to die, but they will not be able to. All the waters of the world will be turned to blood. Practically every person on earth will be covered with great oozing sores and boils. The sun will scorch the earth with terrible heat and fire. Uh, the earth will quake so severely the islands of the sea will disappear. And at the end of the great tribulation, mankind's worst fears will become a nightmarish reality. Armageddon. I'm preaching on that next Sunday. Now write it down. Far worse than the global disasters will be the coming world dictator. This coming world dictator will be an intellectual giant. He will be a supreme strategist. He will be an eloquent orator. 
I believe in many ways when you watch on documentaries Adolf Hitler and his rise to power, there are many things about Adolf Hitler which are a foreshadowing of the prince of darkness which is about to come, this coming one world dictator. The Bible says he will attain world prominence by initiating, by drafting a seven-year peace treaty with Israel. He will allow Israel to rebuild her holy temple. He will solve the conflict, the age-old Middle East conflict between Israel and the Palestinians that even now is raging. He'll be a Nobel Peace Prize winner. He will be hailed by Israel as her new age Messiah, her long-awaited Messiah. Who is this one, this coming one-world dictator? The Bible calls him the man of sin. Revelation calls him the beast, 666. John's epistles call him the Antichrist, the son of Satan. Paul the Apostle prophesied in 2 Thessalonians 2, he will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. You see, midway through the great tribulation, seemingly he will be assassinated. And then by Satan's power, he'll be resurrected from the dead. And at that time, at that time, more than a dynamic personality, he will be a devil-possessed personality. And all of the world will be in awe of him as Satan literally possesses the Antichrist. The Antichrist will walk into the newly rebuilt temple in Jerusalem and he will seat himself upon the throne only reserved for Messiah and proclaim himself as God and exalt himself to be worshipped and any who do not worship him will be killed. The Antichrist will have a three-point plan for world domination. Number one, a one-world government. Revelation 13, 7, he was given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. Number two, a one-world economic system. Revelation 13, he forced all people, great, small, rich, poor, free, slave, to receive a mark on their right hands or on their foreheads so that they could not buy or sell unless they had the mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let the person who has insight calculate the number of the beast for it is the number of a man that number is six 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 think of it once again ours is the first generation with the technological feasibility to host a one world government a universal economic system not my grandparents generation our generation but the Antichrist will want more than global power. He'll want to be worshipped. This is Satan's consuming passion that the kingdoms of the world would worship him. And they will through the Antichrist. You might say, well, pastor, the, the world, the world would never accept a one world dictator. They accepted Hitler. Even after Hitler wrote his book, Mein Kampf, 
and delineated his strategy for global domination. They voted Hitler in. They elected Adolf Hitler. They said, Heil Hitler, as they hailed him as their New Age Messiah. Listen, the world will embrace this New Age Hitler, the Antichrist, with open arms. Why? Because the world is already infected with the spirit of Antichrist. Look all around you. The signs of the coming storm are all around us. Just watch your evening news. It's amazing. It's amazing. Ever since I preached on the super blood moon a few weeks ago, have you seen the uptick of the signs of the times around the world? I am not preaching that there is a connection. You know what I taught on that Sunday? That seemingly down through history, when there's been a tetrod of four blood moons on the Jewish festivals, there has been a seeming linkage between amazing occurrences within Jewish history. And oh, have we seen it in our news. Russia and Persia are now in an alliance as never before in human history. Who is Persia, Pastor? In 1935, Persia became Iran. Ezekiel 38 declares very clearly that Russia and Persia will be in a confederation and will be the name allies and enemies of Israel in the last of the last days. World War III is coming. The invasion of Israel. Ezekiel 37, Ezekiel 38, Ezekiel 39 speaks of this World War III that will ultimately lead in to the mother of all battles, the Battle of Armageddon. And what's happening in Jerusalem and in Israel? Even right now as we speak, Palestinians have called for the day of rage. And all of the violence, all of the murder and the terrorism going on in Israel right now, it's all focused on the hottest piece of real estate on the planet. The Bible prophesied it thousands of years ago that it would bring the whole world to war. What is the hottest piece of real estate on the entire planet? 13 acres known as the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. And the Muslims want Jerusalem back. It'll be the main impetus for World War III. The war of Gog and Magog prophesied in Ezekiel 30. 8 and 39. Think of it. Jesus prophesied this about Jerusalem. Think of it. Almost 2,000 years ago, Jesus said about Jerusalem, they will fall by the sword and will be taken as prisoners to all nations. He accurately predicted the Roman destruction of Jerusalem. Then listen to what he says. Jerusalem will be trampled on by the Gentiles. Until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Even during the days of Jesus' ministry, Israel did not control Jerusalem. Who controlled Jerusalem? The Romans. Before them, the Greeks. Before them, the Persians. And before them, the Babylonians. 
Do you realize that Jerusalem has not been controlled by Israel for more than 2,500 years? Yet in our lifetime, yet in our generation, on June the 7th, 1967, Israel regained Jerusalem for the first time in 2,500 years, just as the prophets predicted. That's why I say we are the generation the prophets were speaking of, the apostles taught about, that Jesus prophesied about. The times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. We're living on borrowed time. We're living on borrowed time. Israel's greatest enemy right now within Israel is Hamas, that terrorist organization that controls the West Bank. Uh, Hamas has called for the destruction of Israel and the return of Jerusalem. Hamas's political bureau head, Khalid Mashel, he has said this, and I quote, Hamas's position, the national Palestinian position, and the Arab position are united regarding the need to establish Jerusalem as the capital of the Palestinian state. I say, Hamas, Mr. Marcel, God has brought his people back home. The times of the Gentiles are now fulfilled. God has brought his people back to her holy city in preparation to receive her real king, the son of David, Jesus Christ, king of kings and lord of lords. Hallelujah. What a day that we're living in. Signs of the times. Storm warnings. Storm warnings. Will you heed the storm warnings? Write it down. Far worse than the catastrophes, the plagues, or even the Antichrist during the Great Tribulation will be the removing of the restrainer. Most Christians do not know who the restrainer is, as prophesied in the Holy Scriptures. Paul the Apostle, when he's describing the coming Antichrist, Paul the Apostle also reveals the restrainer. Listen to what Paul the Apostle said. In this chapter where he describes the Antichrist, Paul says, and you know what is restraining him now so that he may be revealed in his time. For the mystery of lawlessness, or the spirit of Antichrist, is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until... He, the restrainer, is out of the way. Who is this restrainer? Who is this restrainer? The present ministry of the Holy Spirit. The third person of the Trinity, God the Holy Spirit, is the prime mover of morality, decency, goodness, all that is positive in our world today at the great tribulation he will be gone missing completely his present holy ghost ministry will be gone imagine a world without the present ministry of the holy spirit there will be no more Full gospel churches. There will be no more spirit-anointed full gospel messages thundering from pulpits across the land. 
There will be no more worship services. There will be no more spirit-led prayerful intercession. There will be no more Christian broadcasting, preaching. There will be no more altar services where the altars are flooded and people are seeking God and pressing into the presence of the Lord. There will be no more salvation invitations. Because the present ministry of the Holy Spirit will have vanished. The present ministry of the Holy Spirit has not always been. We have just enjoyed this since the day of Pentecost when God breathed upon the world. The present ministry of God the Holy Spirit that we currently enjoy, the world will relapse back to the days of the Old Testament. The Holy Spirit will not work in a general outpouring, but in individual situations. As in the Old Testament, Genesis chapter 6 verse 3 will be fulfilled. My spirit shall not always strive with man. The church age is finished. The church is gone. The church has been raptured as we preached last week. The general outpouring of the Spirit is no more. The general convicting and wooing and drawing and the tugging of the heart is now gone. And now the passions of hell will be outpoured. A flood tide of evil so horrendous it would make Sodom and Gomorrah wince where there had been an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, now there will be an outpouring of hellish fury. Now there will be a baptism of demonic evil. That's why we need to seize the moment today. That's why we need to pull out the stops and live for God like there's no tomorrow. Today, you want to hear some good news this morning. <laughs> it's hard to give some good news when you preach on the Great Tribulation. You want to hear some good news this morning. Instead of some gloom and doom, you want to hear some good news when it comes to the signs of the times. I'll give you one of the signs of the times that's good news. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 24. Jesus said, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations. And then the end shall come. And then the end shall come. You just saw this morning the PowerPoint presentation of Cuba. I remind you, Cuba is a communist, God-hating nation politically in its philosophy, its Marxist philosophy. But what's happening in Cuba? <laughs> you see, Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. But with God, all things are possible. Do you know that in Cuba right now, there are, there are more churches being planted. There are more people coming to faith in Jesus Christ, more per capita than any other nation on the planet right now. Communist Cuba. Give the glory to God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I was watching with my parents a few weeks ago. I was watching the 700 Club as they were documenting the prayer revival going on where? Communist China. The underground illegal church in China. Communist China. 
Do you realize that China in the next two years, as it continues its phenomenal spiritual Christian growth, if, if it continues exponentially as it is in the most populous nation on the planet, China is set to be, communist China is set to be the number one Christian nation on the planet because God's Spirit is moving. Hallelujah! The Jesus Film Project, the Jesus Film Project that was sponsored by Campus Crusade for Christ, the Jesus film has now been seen and viewed by 233 out of 234 nations on the planet. 3.9 billion people have viewed the Jesus movie on this planet. Over 200 million decisions for Jesus Christ. Glory to God! Missiologists tell us that when we crossed over into the 21st century, that for the very first time, that Bible that you're holding in your hand, that Bible has been translated into every language, every dialect, every tribe, every nation on the planet. Hallelujah. That's 3,800 languages and dialects. For the very first time, the Word of God is now available in every tongue in human history. Think of it. Missiologists tell us that every single day in our planet, 85,000 people accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and become Christ followers for the glory of God. How do we explain all of this? How do we explain that there are more people coming to faith in Jesus Christ in our generation than at any time in human history? How do we explain this? Peter explained it in Acts chapter 2 verse 17. Peter said and preached, in the last days I will pour out my spirit and everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. We are living in a generation of the Holy Spirit as never before. As never before, more people have been born again and come to faith in our lifetime than all of the cumulative generations in human history. Burkina Faso. Burkina Faso, I just had missionaries recently share with me about the Holy Spirit revival going on at Burkina Faso. In Burkina Faso... Even Muslims are falling down under the power of God. The Muslims cried out, and I quote, What is this? The Christian Africans told them it's the power of Jesus. The Muslims said, but we don't believe in Jesus. The Christians said, do you believe now? Uh, the Muslims said we must or will die in our sins. And the Muslims were saved and baptized in the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah! In the last days I will pour out my spirit. Storm warnings. Beautiful storm warnings. We are a generation of the Holy Spirit. I want to remind you, my dear Lakeside family, the most precious opportunity we have is experiencing the presence and the person and the power of God the Holy Spirit. I've been asked as your pastor, 
I have been asked on numerous occasions when I will stop emphasizing the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. I've been asked when I will be stop, I will stop emphasizing the gifts of the Holy Spirit, messages in tongues, and interpretation and prophecy in our services because we are to be a seeker oriented church service. We don't want to offend the visitors. And so I have been asked, Pastor, when are you going to stop having all altar calls? When are you going to stop having hands raised in salvation uh, invitations? When are you going to stop uh, exhorting people to lift up their hands and praise and worship the Lord? Because this might uh, offend uh, uh, visitors that come our way. I've been asked, uh, Pastor, when are you going to stop emphasizing uh, the, the baptism in the Holy Spirit and all the signs that follow that exercise? And I've looked them in the eye and I've said, not in my watch. Not while I'm here. Come Holy Spirit, we need thee. Come sweet Spirit, we pray. Come in your might and come in your power. Come in your own special way. We need, we desperately need the inbreathing of God, the Holy Spirit in our time, in our nation, in our churches, as never before. There is revival going on in nation after nation around the globe, except here in America. And I'm believing that there is still a last day's revival that has been set aside for these United States of America. Would you pray with me? Would you pray with me for a revival that would sweep from sea to shining sea in these United States of America? We need you, Holy Spirit, for our world is rapidly moving towards a time when a different spirit will be operating on our planet. So Christians, my lakeside family, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. Live in the Spirit. Welcome God the Holy Spirit. Receive all that God has for you in this hour. Pull out the stops. We're in God's two-minute warning. Let's live for Jesus like there's no tomorrow. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. This type of message normally brings the question that I've been posed so many times. Pastor, in the great tribulation, will there be a second chance for those that missed the rapture? Let me answer that as I wrap up this morning. The Bible reveals, write it down, powerful facts about Christians during the great tribulation. I won't read the entire passage. It's there for you, your consideration. I won't read it this morning. And uh, youth pastors, ushers, help me out this morning. It's important that all hear this word as we leave this morning. I get ready for communion, that we don't move around. Revelation chapter 7, after this, I looked... And there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. These are they who have come out of 
the great tribulation. They've washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Never again will they hunger, never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat upon them, nor any scorching heat. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes because they've come out of great suffering. There will be a vast number of Christians that will come to faith in the great tribulation, but they will experience great suffering. They'll experience great martyrdom. They will be beheaded for their faith. Revelation 20, verse 4, And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony for Jesus, because of the Word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or his image, had not received his mark on their foreheads or their heads. Isn't it interesting that it's our generation, it's our current events that are witnessing on the news ISIS performing beheadings of Christians. And we don't know the countless number that have given their lives in that manner. It is so horrendous. The question is now, who are these tribulation Christians? Who are these? Do they include backslidden Christians? Lukewarm, namby-pamby, mediocre, mundane, half-hearted, milk-toast Christians that were left behind in the rapture and didn't go up? Will it include those that uh, defected from the faith? They compromised, and they did not go up in the rapture. Will God give those a second chance? I submit to you that there is no evidence of a second chance. When I look at the weight of biblical evidence, I do not see a second chance for Christians that turn their back on God before the rapture and were left behind. And I believe the Left Behind series allows for that, and I am diametrically opposed to that. Listen to me. Let me present the evidence. Write it down. There is no evidence of a second coming theology, second chance theology, I should say, in the Old Testament accounts of mass judgment. How long, how long did Noah preach before the flood? How many years did Noah preach before the flood? Anybody know? For how many years? 120 years Noah warned. Noah warned. God sent his warnings through Noah to a lost world. Yet God shut the door of the ark. Was there a second chance? After the door was shut, when Lot, righteous Lot, and his family, when they fled Sodom and Gomorrah, when they fled the city of Sodom, was there a second chance for those left behind? No. Not one. God repeatedly through the prophets warned his nation Israel, judgment is coming, judgment is coming. Most of your Old Testament is bound up in warnings to Israel about the storm of judgment that was coming. The prophets faithfully warned Israel. Was there a second chance? Ezekiel 8, verse 18, Therefore I will deal with them in anger. I will not look on them with pity or spare them. Although they shout in my ears, I will not listen to them. But I pull most of my evidence from the New Testament. Evidence from New Testament teaching, write it down, seems to weigh against there being a second chance for Christians in the Great Tribulation. I ask you, 
Why are we taught in the New Testament to be strong in the Lord, to be firm in the faith, if there's a second chance? Listen to the writings of the apostles. Peter said in 1 Peter 5, 8, be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10, so if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. 1 Corinthians 16, be on your guard, stand firm in the faith, be men of courage, be strong. Devote yourselves to prayer, Paul says, being watchful and thankful. Why would Paul say these things? If there was a second chance available. God's word stresses today is the day of salvation. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, In the time of my favor, I heard you. In the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. Tomorrow can be too late. The greatest teaching that is diametrically opposed to a second chance is found in 2 Thessalonians. Here Paul is specifically talking about the Great Tribulation. Paul is specifically talking about the coming Antichrist. Paul says the coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with the work of Satan, displayed in all kinds of counterfeit miracles, signs, and wonders. Satan will perform counterfeit supernatural miracles through the Antichrist so that even the elect could be deceived. Verse 10, in every sort of evil, they deceive those who are perishing. They perish because they refuse to love what? The truth and so be saved. Look at verse 11. For this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie and so that all will be condemned who have not believed the truth. They rejected the truth, but have delighted in wickedness. Those who rejected the truth, those that received an adequate presentation of the gospel before the rapture, since they rejected the truth, they'll end up believing a lie. Jesus' own end-time teaching, especially in his parables, weighs against a second-chance theology. Read the parables. I've, I, I've given those to you. Just for your study, on your study guide, you can read them when you go home. Parable after parable after parable. Jesus warns that if you become faithless while you expect or wait for his return. When he comes and you are faithless, you will be eliminated for judgment. What would motivate one to live for Christ now if they knew they had a second chance in the great tribulation? If you can't live for Jesus now, if you can't live for Christ now, listen, how will you live for Christ uh, uh, during the reign of the Antichrist? The most powerful teaching refuting the idea of a second chance, write it down, comes from Jesus' parable of the wise and foolish bridesmaids. How many bridesmaids were there altogether? Ten. Ten. What did they know? What did they know? They knew that the bridegroom was coming. They knew that the bridegroom was just right around the bend in the road. They knew that Jesus was coming. 
Yet how many, how many of the bridesmaids were found ready for the return of the bridegroom? How many? They all knew the bridegroom was coming. But five out of the ten allowed their lamps to burn out. Five out of the ten were found to be foolish. And so five out of the ten, after the bridegroom has come, after the wedding reception has begun, after the door is shut, five uh, out of the bridesmaids, the five foolish ones come, and they come knocking on the wedding reception door. Let us in. Let us in. We're ready now. We're ready now. And some of the most fearful words ever spoken in holy writ are spoken through that door. I know you not. Depart from me, ye workers of iniquity. 100% of the church knew that Jesus was coming, but 50% we're found unprepared. 50% are found left behind. 50% are found shouting out, Jesus has come, <laughs> and we have been left behind to face the Antichrist. I'm sorry, but based upon the preponderance of scriptural evidence, I do not see a case for there to be a second chance for those that have received an adequate presentation of the gospel here and now. I do not see an opportunity for a second chance after the rapture. Yes, there will be countless thousands, millions perhaps, that will be saved and born again during the Great Tribulation. But these will be those who had never heard the gospel, never received an adequate presentation or witness. As we prepare for Holy Communion this morning, I am reminded, I am reminded of a little mommy. I think of my grandsons. Pray for Julie as she wrestles and Tugs with my two grandsons, my twin grandsons, almost five years of age. And they're constantly, when you lead them across a busy street, they're constantly trying to worm their hand out of your grasp. And this mommy was walking across a busy intersection with her five-year-old, and he was playing tug-of-war with her as well, and suddenly he slipped out of her grasp. And he tumbled in front of a Mack truck that was barreling down the road. And just then, a businessman saw him and dove out, tackled him, and rolled to the other side in safety. It was written up in all the newspapers. Man saves boy from certain death. Businessman, savior of little boy. 25 years pass. Now the little boy is not little any longer. This little boy turned out bad. 
shot a man to death. Convicted of murder, found guilty by his peers. And on this day, he stands before the high court. He stands before a man dressed in a black robe, sitting at a bench. And as this young man is about ready to receive his sentence for murder, suddenly there's recognition in the eyes of the young man as he looks up at that one sitting at the bench and he says, I know you. I, I know you. You were the man that years ago saved me. You saved me from, from certain death. You're my Savior. Save me today. The man at the bench removed his glasses and put them down and shook his head wearily. He looked down at the young sir and he said, Young man, back then, I was your savior. But today, I am your judge. The first time Jesus came, he came as a Bethlehem baby. The next time he comes, he'll come thundering through the clouds on a milk-white stallion, mighty warrior. The first time he came, he was tortured, pierced, bruised, bloodied as our suffering Savior upon a cross. The next time he comes, his feet will step foot on the Mount of Olives. And he's coming this time not as Savior, but as judge. Judge. I well understand this is not popular teaching. I am keenly aware that this is not the popular stuff of positive preaching that is going through pulpits today. But today I've been faithful to give you the truth. Do you want the truth? Can you handle the truth? I've given you scriptural truth. Today is the day of salvation. Today the doors of grace are wide open. <laughs> Today indeed it's amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like you, a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found blind. But now I see. Have you experienced the grace of God in Christ Jesus? Isn't it time? Today, right now, isn't it time to say yes to Jesus? Father, I ask and pray as we ready ourselves for this Holy Supper. I pray, oh God, come, come, Holy Spirit, and knock upon the doors of hearts that are here this morning. I pray, Lord, that you would call men and women, boys and girls, to know you, to follow you, 
to serve you before it's too late. For Lord, we know the door of salvation will not always be open. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Christians are praying. How many, how many are here this morning and you're not sure you're right with God and you want to be sure? How many are here this morning and you're not certain that you have a home in heaven and you want to be confident of that fact? I will pray a prayer. I'm going to pray a prayer of salvation. A prayer that will make you right with God. A prayer that will cause you to be a child of the Most High and give you a home in heaven. If you would like to be included in this prayer, if you want to be able to enjoy Holy Communion today with us and have a home in heaven, if you'd like to be included in this prayer, would you just lift up your hand right now as a sign of your faith? Lift it up high so that I can see it. God bless you. God bless you. Yes, God bless you. 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 How many more? Lift it up high. You're lifting it for Jesus. Yes, God bless you. I see that hand. How many more this morning? Yes, up on the balcony. Thank you. I see those hands. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. How many more this morning? How many more this morning? Don't wait for tomorrow. Tomorrow could be too late. Yes, in the back, I see that hand. God bless you. God bless you. Keep those hands lifted up this morning. Please keep those hands lifted up this morning. Heads are bowed. Eyes are closed. I want everyone to pray this prayer with us, especially you that have lifted up your hands. Put your heart into what you're about to pray. Are you ready? Dear Jesus, I come to you right now and I confess I am a sinner but Jesus you're my Savior save me from my sin wash me cleanse me save me I believe you died for me I believe you rose from the dead with resurrection life I want that life, Jesus. A new life. A changed life. Thank you, Jesus, for hearing me, for cleansing me, for a new home in heaven. I thank you, Jesus, that I am saved. In the name of Jesus, I pray this. Amen. Let's rejoice before the Lord this morning. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.